Have you heard about the benefits of CBD? We caught up with Trinity, CEO of Catch Some Relief. Here's what he has to say. Catch Some Relief was founded on the principles of health and wellness for the fishing community. CBD is tremendous for inflammation reduction and anxiety reduction. Our promising is that you will catch some relief. Be like the pros and catch some relief today. Go to catchsomerelief.com and use Blonde15 for 15% off your order at checkout. That's B-L-O-N-D-E-1-5 for 15% off your order at checkout at catchsomerelief.com. Hey, this is Shannon. Sorry I missed your call. Give me a little bit. Yeah, right. Exactly. Hello. Yeah, I forgot about that there. I th- yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, I would. Found out how much I really enjoy party. Nuh-uh. Is that for real? True. It's time like that didn't happen. What do I know? In the future, it's very bright, Michelle. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Blonde Girl Behind the Scenes. Today's guest is unique as he's a professional angler, but he also works behind the scenes in an impactful way, keeping the sport of bass fishing alive with our youth anglers. Let's get Kurt Dove on the phone and hear how he went from government job to professional angler to pro bass camp director. Hello, Michelle. Hey, how's it going? I'm great. How you doing? Doing pretty good, despite the tropical storm or whatever's rolling through here. <laughs> you got you got some heavy wind, rain, and all kinds of stuff going on. Huh? Mm-hmm. It's not super windy. It's just like they said, tropical storms going to affect your area, and I'm like, cool. Like the rain makes me depressed. (laughs) I'm not a fan of it. It makes me super unproductive. I'm that person that just wants to hang out, watch movies, and you can't really do that when it's a weekday or even a weekday or a weekend most of the time. So Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. I have just the opposite thing going on here in Texas. It's uh bluebird skies and uh, ninety degrees and nonstop. We, we take some clouds every once in a while. Heck, well, we'll send the tropical storm your way then. Bertha, she's coming for you. That's the name. That's the name of it. Oh, yeah. That's the name. Well, thank you for for giving us some of your time. Um, where, where would you like to start with your story? Because you have a very interesting story and... Um, I'll let you kind of take the floor and and start wherever you'd like to start, and I'll in I'll interrupt where need. Where it's All right. <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of a you know life life's a crazy journey. It's it's kind of is what you make it, I guess. And um, you know, obviously, uh, we're here to talk about bass fishing. That's my love and my passion, and, and what I enjoy to do. And and um, so I do everything that I can to possibly, you know, continue down that path. Heck <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I graduated college in, uh, I went to, I grew up in Virginia, I graduated college in, in uh, mid-90s and uh, got a job with the, the government like everybody does where I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. So I got a job with the government and I fished the Potomac River every weekend I could you know, had dreams and aspirations. Now, I'm old enough to 
to go back to the TNN days, you know, when I was young and watching the Nashville Network and, and all those old episodes of Bassmaster and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, just always wanted to uh, take a stab at make, you know, trying to make a living, you know, casting for for bass and, and whatever that meant. I, you know, it wasn't necessarily that I had this dream to win this or that or whatever. I just wanted to live my passion, which was bass fishing. Mm-hmm. And, and that was really ultimately my goal was, was to just be able to do that. So I took the proverbial jump off the bridge along with my wife in uh, 2006 when I qualified for the Elite Series. Kind of looked at each other in 2005 and like, hey, should we? Should I do this? This is what I've always wanted to do. Can we do this? Because entry fees were crazy, you know, and it was the uh, kickoff of the kind of new format of the Elite Series. We had the top 100 anglers and, and um, you know, big entry fees, big paybacks, you know, just the whole Bassmaster philosophy of that time. It changed with uh, ESPN and different things that were involved at that time in our industry. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we did. <laughs> we took this giant leap of faith, and 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 we had some cushion. You know, had to. I was able to take leave without pay for my job. You know, so I think the the craziest thing about the sport is that if you just let everybody know your story and how you want to live this, you know, this dream or affect this uh, passion and be involved in this industry, is that people get behind you, you know, they, they get behind you in so many other ways. And, and the first way that I could actually start to realize that dream is everybody that I worked with as a government contractor that I had been with since I graduated college. I was there 10 years from 96 to 05. And um, they knew that that's what I wanted to do. So they wanted to help me try to do that. And, you know, I was a good employee. At least I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> Sure anyway, so they gave me leave without pay, right? <laughs> yeah. To to go try to to um, you know make this whole dream actually become a reality. And if it wasn't for that, it would have been very difficult to make that transition. Sure. But um, they provided us the possibility to make it that way, and that's the way it worked. And so for eighteen months, I was fishing the elite series and running back with me and working. And, and had that whole job with leave without pace. But so I was able to take off, you know, 12, 18 weeks a year, no problem, and still just run back home to my job and, and make some decent money doing that. Finally, after 18 months or so, it just got to that point where it was like, hey, you're going to jump in with both feet now instead of just stabbing your toes into it <laughs> or, you know, kind of get away from that cushion. I guess, and that fallback. And, and so that's what we decided to do. So we moved down to uh, Lake Amistad in Texas, uh, started guiding full-time, and um, just really dove headfirst into the industry. But but not being, uh, I guess you want to say, not knowing what I was getting into, I, I knew what I was kind of getting into because I had been able to dip my toe into the waters for you know, 18 months or so. Mm-hmm. So from there on, it's just been fishing since 2007 time frame, 2008 time frame. And um, gosh, so in so many different ways, you have to like plant your, you know, there's only maybe what, 10% of the people in the sport of fishing that make back every year. Mm-hmm. 
in tournament winnings enough to really continue that just based on tournament winnings. You know, right. to, to actually live, pay a mortgage, bills, electric, yeah, all the yeah, fundamentals sure. of life. It's a lot harder than people think. That's the reality yeah. of the situation. <laughs> it is. It absolutely is. So, um, so in learning all those things and then with guiding and, I do my own podcast with Bass Edge Radio. I've been doing that since 2012. Um, been co-hosting with, with a friend, Aaron Martin. That's just his podcast. I'm just the I'm just the hired hired hand. <laughs> <laughs> you're the but, night, uh, you're the co-host. <laughs> that's exactly right. I am the co-host. So that's been a uh, you know somewhere else to kind of plan a foundation of of uh, different ways you know and sponsorship and working with companies and and uh, making sure that you're making some kind of uh, impact for them that they want to continue with you and grow and and uh, gosh it's just so many things you know I started a youth fishing camp back in 2012 and that's been going on for this will be the ninth year coming up in just uh, a few weeks here in the first part of June. We'll have two sessions here in Texas, so that's exciting. Nice. And um, <clears throat> going from the Elite Series and fished in MLF, and now I fished the FLW Pro Circuit, and gosh, I, I feel like I've fished every national tour out there. You've at least tried. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, had success here and there. It's, it's been a great ride, honestly. It's, it's been a, uh, I wouldn't change anything up to this point. And, uh, I just keep striving and looking for the next step and the less and the next fulfillment in, um, in whatever the journey provides by just putting my head down and working hard and staying after it. I mean, that's, that's what we do. Absolutely. That's the only thing. I mean, regardless of the industry, that's the only thing you can do. Let's backtrack for a second. Let's go back to growing up in Virginia. I didn't realize you grew up in Virginia. Tell us, yes. tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I listened to your last show with uh, Chris Brown. I uh-huh. think that was the last show that you uh-huh. did. And, and uh, I did not know that Chris grew up in Virginia. I know. I, I learned through there that he grew up like that in southern virginia around uh, you know i don't he didn't really say a town i don't think in, in the interview but no. you know kind of that lake gas and bugs island area so um i heard i remember i hear him say the Heiko river which the Heiko is off of bugs island lake and then and then he was talking about gas and stuff like that so i grew up in northern virginia so i grew up in the fairfax okay area. i was a city boy <laughs> <laughs> What was growing up there like? Um, very urban. Um, you know, I was, uh, uh, you know, so my my dad started me fishing. Uh, I remember when we were young kids, it was, you know, maybe Friday night, Friday evening, or Saturday evening. My, my sister, my father, and I would go fish underneath the bridge at Fountainhead Regional Park, Occoquan Reservoir. And um, that's kind of how we started fishing and kind of being outdoors. And my dad was kind of outdoors guy. You know, mm. he was hunting fish, and he grew up in Annapolis, Maryland. And uh, okay. so my mother grew up in West Virginia. So they connected there in the D.C. area, which is now you know, like a giant melting pot of people mm-hmm. from really. At that time, when I grew up, it was a melting pot of people all over the United States. But now, these days, it's a melting pot from people all over the world. So. You know, you see a lot of different cultures there, which is which is great. You know, mm-hmm. you 
you learn about a lot of different things. Um, it, uh, as far as the fishing and outdoors, I, I never grew up hunting at all, really. And, okay. and I think that was part, partially because I was just grew up in an urban, you know, atmosphere, population area, that more dense population. And, um, but we had the Potomac River. And that was really where my love of bass fishing uh, was established and, and how I kind of grew my roots and my, my skills and kind of formulated my bass fishing, you know, uh, expertise up to this point, I guess you might say, or, or just kind of, you know, really started learning how to bass fish when I was, when I was young was, was on, uh, on the Potomac river. So that's, that was kind of a great place to grow up really. Um, it was, like I say, very diversified culturally. Um, but at the same time, it had awesome bass fishing. And when I was young, <clears throat> we had the, uh, Bassmaster Top 150 come to the river like every year. So, you know, we could go out there and watch, you know, at that time, you know, I was watching Gary Klein and Zell Rowland, you know, Rick Klein, a lot of the same guys still fish today, mm-hmm. but it was many, many, many years ago. <laughs> so it was, uh, <laughs> hundred plus awesome. years old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's actually amazing to see those, to think it, as we talk about this right now and to think how, young I was, you know, in, in my twenties and, um, you know, early twenties and teens and, and to think about being out there and watching those guys fish and, uh, and to think, geez, they're still fishing now. <laughs> That's it's crazy. Kind of, I mean, right? it is super crazy, but at the same time, it's a really cool thing that the sport of bass fishing is not, um, there's no like retirement age, right? Like football, you yeah. can only play football until what they say, like thirty something. Um, yeah, if you I get mean, what like eight years, then you 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 run it you run it pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at Jimmy Houston; he's 120. He's still out there kicking, and so I mean, you could be a professional bass angler until you're a thousand years old, and you can still do it. That's just there's there's no age restrictions whatsoever <laughs> thank goodness it, it still leaves me lots of hope <laughs> hey we all we all strive to be jimmy houston i want to look that good at his age and not have like there's no excuse there's no reason why he wears sunglasses all the time he just chooses right. to wear them I, I i have my own personal reasons i think he wears them i'm cool with that i'm cool with it but I want to be Jimmy Houston when I come back to life. Maybe he just, he's like a cat. He's got nine lives. That's great. Right, right. <laughs> that's so he grew, so grew up in Virginia, and kind of that's where your fishing, uh, your passion started there, and um, just recreational, it sounds like, right? When did you yeah. start fishing? Did you start fishing tournaments? Um before you kind of jumped into it as a professional, like on a local level? For sure. At that time, you know, the, uh, you, you had some red man stuff, but they really didn't have the, uh, grassroots, uh, at that time, at that, at that time in, in the industry, the grassroots was really the, the Bass Federation, okay. uh, which is now known as, you know, Bass Nation. And the Bass Federation was absolutely the biggest thing going on. I mean, there was clubs all over the place, you know, all over Maryland, all over Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina. I mean, it was 
the, the thing was being in a bass club. That was <gasps> shit. Hey, I'm back. That I was lost. totally me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's all good. I had to like keep touching the computer to keep it alive, and I just accidentally touched my phone instead. Okay. No problem. Where okay. did where did I where did so, you leave where did I leave off? Starting, there were no grassroots tournaments when you started. Okay. Yeah. So so the, in in the um when I grew up, it was it was uh it was all I started all on the grassroots. And and really with the Red Man, you know, they had the Red Man, the Golden Blend tournaments, and and there was no FLW at the time. It was just you know kind of this offshoot of, of Red Man that they had, and and then Bass was really where all the grassroots was. You know, it was the the Bass Federation back there, which is now known as, as Bass Nation. And um, I mean, everybody was involved in a club. It was like, which club are you in? Oh, I'm in this club or I'm in that club. And then maybe if you were really crazy, you'd be in a Virginia club and a Maryland club, you know, so you could <laughs> fish both sides and qualify for both state teams. And, and anyway, so that's where I started. I actually made a deal with my dad. I went to, uh, when I graduated high school, I went to college in North Carolina. I went to a small Methodist school called Brevard College. And uh, it was up in the hills of North Carolina. And um, I went there for a semester and a half. And, and all I did, well, I played basketball. That was my thing when I was young. But nice. So I was playing basketball all the time. And, but all I could really think about is, man, I wanted to get out there fishing and fish tournaments. And we didn't have a boat. You know, we had a little Sears game fisher that was like our rig. Okay. And um, <clears throat> then when I, right when I went to college, my dad bought a, a Bass Tracker TX-17 with a 40 Merc on the back, man, I was like, I can't wait to get back home and get in that boat, you know, and go out <laughs> on the Potomac and start fishing all these places I've been reading about. I mean, back then, like, even like in the Washington Times, there would be the weekly fishing report. And, and that was like, you went and got the paper on Friday because you wanted to hear what the week weekend fishing report was, you know, and you followed all that stuff. And, you know, there wasn't as much internet as there is obviously today. So, mm-hmm. You were getting, you know, little local paper magazines and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's just obviously a different time in, in, in history. But but anyway, I made a deal with my dad. If I came back from college and went to school locally, so he, you know, basically saving the family money, right? They didn't have to pay room <laughs> at school. Right, board. yeah. <laughs> I said, well, excuse me, we'll get a bass boat. And we ended up, excuse me, got a frog in my throat. Uh-oh. We ended up uh, getting a Skeeter bass boat. Nice. And I was so excited and, and just so, so fired up to, you know, get that thing. And, and that's when we started tournament fishing. I actually remember tournament fishing. The first tournament we ever did was a team tournament at Elizabeth State Park. It was a uh, St. Jude's charity event. It was sometime in June. First cast I made in the tournament, it was in Chickamauxon Creek with a Berkeley power worm. I'll never forget that either. <laughs> but that was the thing back then. Berkeley had just come out with the power worm, you know, the you know, the smell smelly worms and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, I made my first cast in that tournament, I caught a fish. And and I knew that this is this was my deal. You know, this is what I wanted to do. I loved it. You know, back then it was all two strokes and you know 
all you did is smell oil when you started the motor <laughs> and there'd be 150 or 200 boats around and back then when you when we had a a federation event or when we had a, a team you know trail event like a charity term or something Every time it was 150 to 250 bucks, no matter what. I mean, it was wow. it was kind of less. Uh, everybody was kind of doing the same thing then, you know. Now you've yeah. got all kinds of different platforms that people are choosing to participate in, whether it's club tournaments or or solo events or team tournaments or you know, there's just so many different platforms nowadays right. to choose from. Back then, we didn't have that many platforms. Right. You know, there, there just wasn't that many tournaments or organizations, and and everybody did the same thing. So all the fields were big, and, and they were, you know, you, you'd pay, back then, you'd pay a $35 entry fee for a tournament, and the prize was 1500 bucks. Dang, <laughs> you know, let's go where, back to those days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now you pay $250, and the prize is, you know, 3500 bucks and you got to yeah. split it with your buddy. Right. <laughs> so. That's if you make a check. <laughs> that's if you make a check. That's right. That's right. That's cool so, though. So that's how it all got started for me. Um, once, once we, once we got that bass boat, I made that deal with my dad to come home and finish up school at George Mason university right there around the house. Right. I, uh, I started fishing all the local stuff and it was just, you know, I, I did well in the local club level and decided, hey, I'm going to start fishing some BFLs. You know, so the BFLs started in the, I guess it was the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, started fishing the BFLs and won one of those. And thought, oh, man, this is great. I'm going to go I'm gonna go start fishing some opens, you know, so I went and fished the opens. And so it, it would take me some time to adapt every time, but I would uh, eventually, you know, achieve a goal that I'd set for myself that said, okay, I'm ready for the next step. Mm -hmm. So each time I achieved a goal, then I went to the next step and kind of just climbing up and, and that's still where I'm at today. I'm still trying to achieve goals and keep going to the next step, wherever that takes me. <laughs> never, never stop achieving. That's, I believe in that wholeheartedly. What did you, yeah. what did you end up graduating with degree with a degree? I graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Health, Fitness, and Recreation Resources. Okay. My, my, my path was actually to work with uh, Park Service. That's what I wanted to do, whether it was a National Park Service or a local park service mm -hmm. or, or something of that nature. You know, just being an outdoorsy guy, um, that's, that's what was my interest. I didn't, you know, really want to be stuck behind a desk nine to five every day. You know, 50, 50 weeks a year. Yep. But um, ultimately, what I what I found out is that that really wasn't a good choice for me because the parks are most busy on the weekends, <laughs> and tournaments were on the weekends, and so you would be off maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, and then of course you were working on Saturday and Sunday. So I'm standing down there. I was one of the parks I worked at. Before I graduated college, I actually did my internship there was Pohick Bay Regional Park, nice. which is right on the Potomac River. And uh -huh. Pohick Bay is actually a great, great tributary of the Potomac, great fishery. And um, 
I was like, man, I can't do this. This is crazy. <laughs> I can't I be, be out there watching. with my friends. That's, that's exactly. I can't be watching these guys blast off or these girls blast off. I got to be out there myself blasting off with them. <laughs> so as soon as I finished college, it, um, I was just, you know, again, you know, life's journey takes you where where you're supposed to be if you just follow it freely. I feel like and and go with your gut and. Um, I got a job with the federal government and um, worked on a program that did overseas facility security and uh, got just, you know, great paying job. And, you know, it, it just worked out great. So I had my Monday through Friday and I was making enough money to pay for tournament entry fees and, you know, buy what tackle I, I felt like I needed, and, you know, help my dad. Actually, when we first bought a, our first boat together, you know, more or less, 2001, we bought a Triton. You know, Triton was a brand new boat company at the time. They they launched themselves in the late nineties and so our first really big twenty foot, you know, two hundred and fifty horsepower bass boat was a Triton. And uh I had made a great relationship with a, a dealership there in Virginia and a gentleman named Richard Addy. He was like my, my first what I would consider supporter in the industry. He helped me, you know, get a good boat deal and, and kind of align myself with the dealership there, Pops Marine, which they're no longer there, but he works at Mary Marine now, which is in Northern Virginia. Okay. And uh, so that's that's kind of how the whole process got started. And I started having, you know, some, like I said before, just some local success and, you know, just kept kind of climbing that little ladder. And then, you know, I'd make a little bit more money at work as time went by, you know, getting a raise every couple of years or whatever. And then, I could eventually just afford to to pay to fish, you know, open series and have the time off to fish that series in order to, you know, try to achieve the next next goal of moving up and then trying to work industry relationships and learning that part of, of the business as well through that process. So it, it was it was a long I mean, you see some of these young young anglers now and they're twenty one or twenty two or twenty three and they jump into the game and, and knowing the financial uh, struggles it takes to get started. And uh, it's a lot easier on, honestly, when you're younger, because you don't have mortgage payments. You don't have a lot of these other yeah. things that you do when you, when you're 30 or 35 and, and right. start to make that shift, you know? So right. part of me really regretted, you know, once I got out of college, not just, trying to make it because I, I feel like uh, that's a great avenue for, for a young person is if you have a, a unending passion for the sport, I, I completely encourage young people to go to college, but once they get out of college, go try to make it happen. You know, use every resource, use, use all your skills, use, use, use the passion and, and your story to try and facilitate the dream early because I think it's easier to do it when you're 22 or 25 or 27 than, than it is when maybe you're 34 or 36 or 38. Yeah. But everybody's, uh, everybody's little journey is different, but, mm -hmm. but there's, there's, there's pros and cons to both. For sure. When you're, when you're young and, I don't want to say reckless, but kind of young and dumb, so to speak. Like there's that, there's that fire that's in you that you might, that eventually could wear on you when you get, you know, a little older being, 
just life itself gets thrown at you at such a fast pace when you graduate. And if you know what you want to do and you've got that fire, just, I I agree. That's a, that's actually, I've never heard anybody say that. And I really, that's actually a really good piece of advice because there's so much, I think like a stigma around what you're supposed to do when you graduate. And if you know that you want to be a professional angler or, or what have you, you're right. I mean, when you graduate, you've got, you've got that fire. You've, you're maybe more outgoing than you would be. You don't have life thrown at you so quickly. Go for it. Like go for it, build those relationships, which is what, you know, you did too, to, to move up the rankings, um, which is really important. And kind of right now it's not that easy to do in the industry with all the different platforms that they have and all these other people that are kind of doing the same thing, so to speak. But that, that's really it's fascinating. I've never heard anybody say that before. I want to like yeah. kind of backtrack though again. Sure. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Tell me, I'm fascinated by your by your government job. I think, <laughs> tell me what you did on a daily basis or like just a little bit. <laughs> so, so um, I, I worked a job that that required a clearance, so I had to wait. I think it was. It took about eight months after I, I actually applied for this job before I graduated from college because I knew it was going to be a long process. And, um, I happened to meet, uh, this gentleman that, that was actually dating my mother at the time. My parents were divorced and, and my mother was dating this guy. And he said, Hey, I've got an opportunity for you, but you got to fill out all this stuff and, and it's going to take some time. And I had actually applied for two places before I graduated college. And that was state police. Virginia State Police, that was one of my potentials, you know, to make an income and kind of establish some kind of foundation for myself. Be a police officer? Be a police officer, yeah. Okay, okay. It was either that or, and and then I, at the same time, I applied for this other job that I really didn't know where it was headed. But, um, you know, I was like, hey, what have I got to lose, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, actually, the, the reason that I took this government contract job was because my clearance came through the government contract job before I finished the entire state police process application. If, if anybody knows about that kind of thing, it's, it's a long process as well. It's, you know, it's eight, 10, 12 months, you know, to wow. kind of go through everything. And, um, and that's how it is to get a, a top secret clearance for the government as well. So anyway, the clearance came through and the state police starting salary was less than what my starting salary would have been at this government job. So I was like, no brainer. I got the <laughs> deal. I got my clearance. We're going to take this job. That's so, we, we, <laughs> so eventually I, I was placed on this program after about six months being there and you kind of, you know, feel your way around and, and uh, what's going on. And at first I was an access control officer for a government facility. And then I went from this access control officer position to an administrative job working in a, basically a five person little program There's, you know, the millions of dollars were being spent in this little program that, that I ended up helping facilitate as one of the employees of, you know, one of the five people that helped facilitate this program. And uh, we basically dealt with uh, overseas facility security. So we would, you know, just actually in the, the first four years of my job there, I was traveling to a bunch of places overseas. Really? I went to all the kinds of goofy stuff like Baku, Azerbaijan, 
and Tashkent, Uzbekistan. And I went to some cool places too. Like uh, I, I got to go to Southern Germany, Stuttgart, Germany for a while. And um, gosh, where else did I go? I went to Bosnia for for uh, a stint. And uh, anyway, so actually this was affecting my fishing. It really pissed me off. <laughs> because it sounds what fascinating, happen, but I can imagine so. <laughs> what would happen is is I would be fishing and, you know, like we talked about earlier, I'm fishing in this Bass Federation Club. And, um, you know, you have, I mean, these were huge tournaments at that time. We're not talking about like a little 50-person club. We had our little clubs. But then there was like 25 clubs in our Northern Virginia region, which was region one of the state of Virginia. Well, the entire region one of the state of Virginia would have like five tournaments a year where you had, you know, 150, 200 boats in each of these events to, to win the region. And that, of course, meant you you had the bragging rights. You were the you're the man of the year pretty I much, guess, you know, in I Northern guess. Virginia. Uh-huh. And it. And it like I said, back then it was a totally different deal. There's so many people involved. It was it was actually pretty amazing. But um, anyway, I would fish like two or three of those events. I'd be doing really good in the standings. I'd be like, you know, 15th or 18th or 10th or whatever it was. And then I would miss like the third or fourth event of the year come out overseas doing some crazy <laughs> silly job for the government. And I would come back and I'd be in. 50th or 60th because I missed an event and eventually I was like after like three years I guess three or four years I was like look I enjoy going out there but I can only go out there now if it doesn't affect my tournament schedule <laughs> <laughs> let's make and that, a that deal was part, yeah that was part of the deal right so that was actually part of when they really learned at, at that job what what I was involved with for, as a hobby at that time you know, with this bass fishing thing. That is crazy. So you're kind of and like a no top idea. secret agent. Right, well, kind right. of classify it as top secret agent. Instead of being a police officer, which would be just as cool, because I'm sure you'd probably be one of those guys that tries to chase my ass down when I drive home to Michigan. You ain't going to catch me. Right. <laughs> I'm not from Detroit. I'm from lot. hell. <laughs> that job sounded a lot sexier than it was, but but it was a it was a good paying job. That was yeah, important. Yeah, so. for sure. Well, I mean, yeah. both of the jobs, obviously, the one, both of them most likely would have affected your fishing for sure. Yeah. And obviously, yeah. top secret agent, they they worked with you until you decided that. What made you? I, I'm gonna fa- I'm gonna jump around. So you just stop yeah, me sure. where where you yeah, feel needed. Cool. Um. So you worked that job and you started fishing the club tournaments more or not. They're not, they wouldn't be considered club tournaments, right? Um, yeah, they were, they were like, you know, federation. Federation yeah. tournaments. Okay. And then, and then I start. you know, once I did I actually became, you know, I, I won the, the region one, uh, year, you know, angler of the year title. And then that was a big deal for me. And that, yeah. that actually was the, the goal for me to go ahead and start fishing BFL. Okay. So once I won that that uh, title, that's when I started fishing BFLs. And I think it was my second year, second or third year fishing the BFLs. I won a BFL on the Potomac. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was like, okay, I made a regional. I won the Potomac BFL. I'm going to fish the Open. You know, so that's what I was talking about before. You know, I kind of mm-hmm. would have these goals and I would reach these goals inside. 
Okay, uh-huh. there's your sign. Go to the next step. You yep. know? That's that's good. I think, I mean, I think a lot of people live that way, but I think some people are way too scared to take that extra step. Like, oh, you made it. Okay, well, you know, now what? Well, now what is this? This is my next goal I'm, I'm going right. to attain. And so you fish the BFLs, and you're fishing – Turn professional before you moved to Texas. Is that correct? What made you go that, to Texas? That's Why? That's correct. <laughs> well, yeah. So, what, what actually drove drove my wife and I down here to Texas was, you know, once we started fishing the Elite Series, you realize really quickly that from March at that time, it was from March until September, you didn't do anything except tournament fish. I mean, it was back and forth. And mm-hmm. I mean, we had, at that time, the Bassmaster Elite Series was fishing 12 events. Wow. And, um, and, and it was $5,000 a tournament, you know, 55000 bucks for the mm-hmm. year, I guess. Yeah. Is that right? No. It must have been 11 events because I remember quite quite distinctively that it was 55K to fish the series. So it oh, must have been 11 gosh. events and uh, 55K to fish the event. Mm-hmm. So. So essentially, when I got back home in Virginia in September or running around and, and actually get some downtime, it was starting to get too cold. You know, I mean, basically, when you get to November, people are hunting and no one wants to go out and fish recreationally. Mm-hmm. And and I had gotten my captain's license. So I'm a you know, United States Coast Guard licensed captain. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to, you know, make some extra money on the Potomac on the weekends and, and kind of guide. And, and it was like, well, this is just silly. You know, no one's no one's out here fishing, really, you know, kind of October, November, December, January, February, March, because it's too cold. Yeah. So right. we, can, we need to get somewhere to a warmer climate because we need to make money 12 months out of the year, not six or eight. Right. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> that, that didn't work. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> that became doesn't. evident real quick. <laughs> so that's what made you go to Texas, not Florida. Yeah, so that, that's what drove us to Texas. Not anywhere else. Texas. So it was a very uh, detailed strategy. The the uh, it was either Florida, Alabama, or Texas. And Florida, too many hurricanes and too many bugs. True that. That that's how <laughs> Florida got got nixed. <laughs> and then the next one was Alabama, and it was Alabama. Really, I, I got to be honest with you. I was more toward moving to Alabama, which uh-huh. at that time it was a little before the crazy trend where everybody was moving to Alabama. Okay. But um, it was still obviously a hotbed for bass fishing, mm-hmm. and um, I mean it's always been a hotbed for bass fishing. True. So, That's so true. any crazy nutty bass angler wants to live in Alabama. But my wife was like, "Uh, uh-uh, too many tornadoes." <laughs> well, what's the difference in Texas? So, well, you got to realize we live in Southwest Texas. Now, yeah, I got so. a story to share about that. All right, all right. Well, so, it's, a, it's somebody else's story, but continue. <laughs> okay, so so when we decided on yes, we're going to move to Texas. Obviously, you got Toledo, Rayburn over there in East Texas, and we weren't really all about the pine trees. And we had been on a five-year anniversary trip out to Phoenix. And really liked the desert. And actually, I had done pretty well. I had a top 12 and led one day of the Elite Series event here at Lake Amistad in 2018. And um, really liked the area. At that time, it was the number one bass fishing lake in the U.S. 
You know, oh. it was all, all the all the talk on ESPN was about Lake Amistad, the okay. number one bass fishing lake in the U.S. And uh, there was just a lot of good vibe of, about what was going on down here. Weather was great. It was kind of like that desert feel, which we, we liked. And um, so, it, you know, it checked off a lot of boxes for us. Um, the, only, the only box that didn't check off is it wasn't really centrally located. But we figured, oh, it's no big deal, you know, because we can we know we're going to have good weather. We know we're going to be able to fish 12 months out of the year. We know that we can get, you know, work guiding down here very effectively, especially coming off, you know, some success in the Elite Series here at the, at the lake. Uh-huh. And um, so, boom, there we went. We moved to Del Rio, Texas, Lake Amistad. Been here for uh, 12 years. And isn't it dangerous there, though? I mean, not one bit. <laughs> okay, probably not where you live, but to for my little story, right, right. Our buddy Casey Scalon has told me all kinds of scary stories fishing that lake. <laughs> really, I'm gonna have. Yes. A, I have. To, I haven't heard. The, I'm, I haven't heard. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, all right. Like, I don't want to say it's dangerous. I just, I. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I've never, I've never personally been there. I like. So let, let me make sure we're on the same page, real quick, right? Uh huh. So you got the Rio Grande River, right? It separates the USA yeah. and in uh, in Mexico, right? And um, here at Lake Amistad, we're very rural. It's a very rural area. We don't have a lot of people living, not only on the U.S. side around the lake because it is a national park. But even on the on the Mexican side of the lake, there is it's there is no population. There's no houses over there. It's very desolate. Very desolate. Really? Now, when you go downriver to Lake Falcon, which is near Laredo, giant town, the way of Laredo, very big town. Falcon's about thirty five miles south of those towns, or south of yeah, south of those towns. And and there's a a, a much larger population on the Mexican side down there at, at Lake Falcon. And uh, there does seem to be, and, and I have not been a part of any issues down there, but there is a lot more activity, a lot more uh, shady things <laughs> that, that make <laughs> it on down at Lake Falcon. And and if I had to, not, you know, I, I've never had this discussion with Casey. Maybe we'll have to get him on, you know, your show here in the, in the next couple of weeks and, and dive into it a little bit. Yes, but we'll but most it. of the, any problems that I've ever heard of have been at Lake Falcon. And uh, that's where, you know, some things that have happened, even in tournaments, some things that have happened there at that lake that are a little strange. But, um, out here at Lake Amistad, literally, I have spent, I, I'm going to say, 2,500 days on the lake. I mean, a lot of days, right? And I have never once had an encounter where I felt spooked or odd or... No suspicious uh, activity? Never had anxiety or anything like that from any anything that I've ever seen out there. Okay. I mean, I looked at a map and it... it I mean, I don't know. I Like I said, I've never been there, but... Yeah, yeah. No, it's cool. You I've, should come sometime, though. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's beautiful. <laughs> I love Texas. I love Texas. Um, but, but I just think of... I mean, and what's the... I, I, I'm geographically challenged. <laughs> uh, I know that uh, 
I'm gonna butcher it because all I do is speak Michigander or however people say it. Chochia, like that's a interesting area for suspicious drug activity. (laughs) Chochia. Yeah, isn't that like what? (laughs) Is that how you say it? Gosh, I'm I'm not sure. People are gonna make fun of me in this episode. I I don't know. I I need I probably need to take a a very good tour of Texas and all these places. I'm not I'm not scared and I don't mean like oh it's dangerous never go there because I definitely right. I definitely disagree. I think everybody sure, sure, should. Sure. I mean, we went to can I used to be a travel nanny and I I swear I saw drug activity outside our window at the resort. Promise oh. you. We did. <laughs> and we hired a we hired, this sounds like it's a drug deal, um, a Mexican doctor to meet us at a park bench to get one of the girls' stitches out of her kneecap. So oh if that goodness. doesn't say American tourist dangerous, I don't know what does. I'm sure. That had to been, that had to been highly sad. Oh, gosh, no. That poor girl. I, I hope she's okay. <laughs> but I just, I just am curious. I mean, you're, you're a fishing guide. You guide how many days out of the year? 365, obviously. No, right? not at all. So <laughs> I used to fish guide. I used to be, you know, when I first moved here in 2008, all the way through 2017, you know, basically nine years, it was hardcore. Um, but in 2017, I actually took a, uh, you know, how we talked about your journey always floating around and you never know where your next path is, is going to lead you, but you take, you know, opportunities that feel good and, and you feel like they're good for, for your life. I started working with a fishing hook company in 2017. So I've only been guiding probably about 30 to 40 days a year over the last oh. three years. Okay. So, so not nearly as much as I, as I was the first nine years or so that I lived here. Tell us what does a fishing what does a fishing guy do or what does a fishing trip look like with you? What's a fishing trip look like? Well, the first thing I do before I go out with clients is I ask them what they're looking for. You know, you, you are you just looking to get your line stretched today? You just want to go catch as many as you can? Are you looking to learn more about bass fishing so that when you come out yourself that that you can actually put things into practice that will help you catch more fish because there's a big difference you know Uh with with guiding you're this like entertainer more or less right Uh and and if you can't use the fish to entertain your clientele then then you're not a very good fishing guide but if the fishing is not really great or you know it's adjusting or you have to adjust the fish which obviously we're trying to catch this little creature that's got fins so they're always swimming around <laughs> and you've got to be able to connect with with your client right and, and what they're trying to accomplish you know what's the day's goal you just out here for a day away from the office and you want to get sunburned yeah. you know or or do you want to come up here and stare at the grass and see what the ledge looks like see what see what the fish look like why they're relating to something the way that that they are in my interpretation of what they're doing or seasonal behavior patterns. And, and there's so many things that you could go through as, as you know, you know, being so involved in the industry and, and being close to anglers that there's just a lot of different uh, avenues to look at, at the game. And uh, so the first thing is to understand what the client wants to do and then just delivering, delivering on that, that, uh, 
that need or the desire that the reason they're going out on Lake Comstock for a day with Kurt Duck, you know, or two <laughs> or three days, you know. So yep. that's really what what my goal is, and what my focus is to to supply to the folks that I that I go fishing with. And this spring is actually fishing has been awesome down here. It's been really, really good. And uh, we've been catching a lot of really nice quality fish and, and some of the best numbers that I've seen over the last three, five years here at the lake. We've been catching, I don't think I've had a guide trip where we've caught less than 60 fish in the last two months. Dang. And I've been guiding almost every weekend except for last weekend. That's so it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. That's cool. So have you been able to use some of this downtime that we've had to do more trips or are you, are you still working with the hook company? I am. And, and, okay. and yes, both of those things are true. So okay. I have been able to obviously be home a whole lot more. So being home means being on the lake more when typically I'm on the road a lot, mm-hmm. um, you know, fishing the tournaments, especially in the spring part of the year, fishing the FLW side, it's typically spring loaded. You know, we start in January and we're done by, by July and, and the championship is usually in August. And yep. so, you know, we have, you know, spread of, five months essentially where, where we have eight events, six events, seven events, eight events, including the championships. So you've got a lot, you know, lots of months where you have two in the same month, two events in the same month. And when you have that going on, like for me living out here in Del Rio, if I have a week between tournaments out East, I don't drive back home. I just stay out. Right. It just doesn't make good economic sense to drive all the way back home. So not having to deal with that or, or have that tournament scheduled this spring, specifically in you know all of april and all of may now mm-hmm. it's been a lot of time here at the lake so it's been great and, and still hook sales have been good fishing's been great and it's just non-stop that's another thing about bass fishing and making a living is like you never off you know it's like <laughs> you're answering the phone at like 8 30 9 30 at night uh-huh. somebody's texting you <laughs> at 6 30 in the morning and it's it's a never non-stop thing but. Yep. My friends always say, oh, you're so lucky you get, you know, basically, you know, December and January off. And I'm like, are you nuts? Like, those are the <laughs> craziest times. Like, <laughs> I can't wait for my clients to get on the road so they stop bugging me. Like, when they're fishing, I'm the not bothered. that's stressful time. Yeah. Yeah. The off season, quote unquote, is, is stressful. These last couple of months of time out of what I'm calling them has been very productive, but a little right. stressful because they're bored or they're fishing and they think of something. It's like, mm, yeah. okay. Yeah. I hear you. I, I got to give you a quick shout out. I got to tell you this, another little story. I've, I've been talking so much, but <laughs> okay. I was at the classic in Alabama this March and um, you were actually sitting, I think you were like two rows down in front of me. And this was the uh, maybe the second or third day of the term. I saw you both days, but you were sitting. I think it was with Todd's, maybe yep. his family mm-hmm. or some mm-hmm. of his relatives. But you work with Todd Auten. If yep. nobody knows that out there, Michelle and Todd are <laughs> working together in marketing and and founding some you know good pathways to make good financial living in the sport of bass fishing yes. and. Um, <clears throat> I gotta, I gotta admit, I have never seen somebody so excited, so uh, just giggly, just like that. Just that noise right there, just oh. makes perfect picture. Because I could just see your excitement for Todd, 
Todd Otten, he had a great classic mm-hmm. and, and your yeah. excitement in the stands and and uh, it was it was actually very refreshing to see. And, and I wanted to compliment you on that and, and how important that is. I think uh, I'm sure Todd knew. Um, I saw you patting him on the back and and all that kind of stuff at different times. And and uh, but it's just great to see that connection that y'all have and um, the excitement that you had that he was having such a an awesome event. And uh, Todd is just a crazy nice guy mm-hmm. and uh, super super nice gentleman. I've known him for many, many years from back in the PAA, back in the days for, for, uh, gosh, we, we worked on it way too hard actually. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, it was awesome to see your excitement there. And, and I got to give you props to that because it was, it was fun to watch from, from behind you. So <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. It, um, I get a little emotionally invested in my, <laughs> in my clients and, that was a that was actually for me in my role the first classic that I've had somebody fishing in where I was totally solo by myself. So it, I was pr- I was running on pure adrenaline in that final day. I just like his family was so excited and his wife was like, he could do this. He could do this. And then she, she would get down. I'm like, but he can do this. Or like feeding off each other's energy of like, if he was going to win or not. And then I was like getting text messages from people behind stage because I decided to sit out there with them that day. We ordered like 50 fat heads for him. So it was like, we just wanted to make it a big deal because he hadn't fished a classic in over 12 years. So it was like, it was a big deal for him. And I get like, I get so emotionally invested in my clients and just even, you know, I mean, I'm getting to know you. So now I'm going to have to follow what's going on with you. And if you're leading, (laughs) I'm going to make sure like everybody knows that you're leading, like Casey Scallon. And I mean, everybody that, I mean, ish, all these guys that I've known, it's, it's right. It's insane. I mean, I never, I didn't even know professional bass fishing was a thing until I met Aaron Martins on a whim and my friends were like, this is, this, you know him? Like, oh my gosh, they, they like, they followed professional bass fishing and they basically coaxed me and they tricked me. I got punked. I got punked into this, but I appreciate that. Thank you. I, that, yeah. I needed that compliment. <laughs> it was refreshing. It was it was great. Thank it, was, you. it made me smile, and, and it makes makes me realize, you know, as we all know, you know, such such a lot of genuine personalities and and people that that are, you know, just magnetic to the sport, and and they just they connected with it, and it's even if they wanted to pull away from it, they can't just because mm-hmm. the people involved with it are are. Uh, I think special people, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. So, uh, anyway, there's something very, thank you. And there's something very special about the fishing industry for sure. All these conversations that I've had with different people in the industry, that's the one thing I think that kind of is just common among everybody is that there is there's no other industry that's like this and people that I've talked to like Chris who's been in the hunting industry or um, I mean just a couple of my friends in NASCAR like there is no other industry like the fishing industry it would be hard to leave it and I think if you leave it you're gonna end up coming back (laughs) the environment is just it's very very unique Um, 
it's almost like, you know, someone grows up in a small town and, mm-hmm. you know, all they think about growing up is, man, I can't wait till I get out of this town. I can't yeah. wait. You know, I want to, I want to go and see things and do other stuff. And, and then they get out of the small town and they do stuff for a while. And, and then, you know, a couple of years later, they're like, man, I miss my small town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They want to go it back is. home. The first thing they want to do is go back home. Yeah. And uh, it's, I think bass fishing industry is very similar to that. Absolutely. Well, I have kept you for long enough, but there's a couple of things that I want to touch on real quick. And I know we talked about it briefly, but tell us a little bit more about the pro bass camp. that That's coming up soon for you. You said June yeah. 5th. You yes, we, we are we are fortunate enough to be able to go forward with uh, camp this year. Um, uh, fortunately, the state of Texas and, and Governor Abbott has set some guidelines that would, you know, uh, just uh, allow us to go ahead and and have that normalcy, as a lot of people say, you know, and, mm-hmm. and go ahead and have our, our fishing camp this year. So I've been doing this year at Lake Amasad since t- 2012, and. Uh, so we have two sessions coming up. Um, the first one is June the 3rd through the 7th, and the second session is June the 9th through the 13th. I've just got some awesome people that help me out with this thing. Um, Bass Fishing Hall of Fame legend Denny Brower helps every year. Uh, buddy of mine, Dave Mansu, helps all the time. Matt Reed. And, and we've had so many pros come down and help. It's just awesome. But um, I appreciate everybody that, that uh, helps me out with this thing. It's, it's a lot of fun. The, the amazing thing is that when the youth anglers come down here and go fishing, they basically come down and go fishing for four days. It's an overnight camp. Um, they stay here in, in a place that we have at Lake Amistad that, you know, at least out for the week. And um, we have uh, this year 26 youth anglers in the first session and 26 youth anglers in the second session. And it always seems like I'm either getting bigger or turning people away. And it's it's just been really, really successful. And, they, and they, the youth anglers just keep coming back every year. Like, if they have years to come, they're, they're, they'll be youth that, that come, like, four years straight. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's just a, it just ended up being a, a, a great program that we've been able to establish. And, and, and the youth anglers really love it. And we're just here to really teach people how to become better bass anglers. That is the bottom line from from sun up to sundown every day we go fishing from six to three essentially we come back you know to the to the uh, lodging facility kind of rest up for an hour or so put our rods and reels away and then we go back out and we do evening seminars we have a flipping and pitching contest and, and uh it's just a full week of non-stop and it culminates in a fishing tournament at the very end um i think over the nine years we're a little over $30,000 given away in college scholarships for the youth anglers. And the scholarships are given to the, to the youth that, you know, essentially, um, you know, at the end of the week, they perform the best. We have a tournament at the end of the mm-hmm. week. So they can learn all this great stuff about Lake Amistad and all the different tactics from all the different instructors throughout the week and then put it all together and the youth campers that do the best at putting it all together at the end get to walk away with a college scholarship. So that's a pretty cool deal. That is amazing. And, um, we started one in New York last year, okay. and um, we did it in Lake Oneida, or Oneida Lake, and we're doing another one this year. So, um, you know, it's kind of a different market, obviously. Um, there's a lot more high school Texas bass anglers <laughs> than there is New York high school bass anglers. Yeah. 
But um, Texas is a crazy state for high school fishing, actually. Yes. They have tournaments all the time that are 300-plus boats and many different uh, territories that put on those style of events. That's not just one place that has 300 boat high school tournaments. It's like three different places in the state <laughs> that have those big me. of tournaments. Yeah, yeah it's, it is. It is absolutely crazy. But um, so we're doing another year up at Lake, uh, up at Oneida Lake uh, near Syracuse, uh, a little town there by the Lake Brewers mm-hmm. in New York. And um, our third session, which will be at the New York session, is July 11th to the 15th. We actually have still a couple slots available in that session okay. that we can accommodate. But um, we're busting from the seams down here at Texas. So, uh, but we're excited. It starts next week. Uh, we're in full preparation mode. And um, yeah, if you know any anybody out there knows any youth anglers that are interested for future camps, they can go on to uh, probasscamp.com. Pretty simple. Probasscamp.com. Excellent. I love it. Yeah. I love that idea of like a sleepover. I mean, I know there's. Uh, bass camps and educational programs and things like that. But I love what you do that it, it builds like a camaraderie with kids that it's like a sleepaway camp and they're going to learn so much in the, in the four days that they're there that is going to go with them. That makes them want to come back and, and there's something to be taken away from it also with the scholarship. I, I love it. I think it's a phenomenal idea and I think every state should have one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. It's, it's a, it's, you know, it's an experience when I, when I grew up, the reason this whole thing kind of developed is, is uh, I played basketball, as I mentioned earlier, when I grew up and actually went and tried to play college a little bit. That's why I went to Brevard, but, but I had this, you know, crazy, crazy, you know, idea that I wanted to just be a basketball stud, you know, and that's what I, I'd go out and shoot a thousand shots a day and, you know, do this and that or whatever. Anyway, that dream fizzled and and I (laughs) was bass fishing. So I really took what, from when I was a youth, I used to go, you know, away basketball camps and overnight basketball camps and, and I just really loved it because that, that was all I really wanted to do. That, that was a focus of not my entire youth, but that was a piece of what I wanted yeah. to do growing up and, and had this dream and desire to be as good as I could be at playing basketball. So I wanted to give youth anglers now with so many different programs that are going on for youth the opportunity to have a place to go effectively do that in the summertime, you know, so that when they went back to their high school tournaments the next fall, their skills would be improved. Their confidence would be improved. When they get up on stage, they could talk to whatever it was they wanted to talk to. You know, they want to know how to get a, a discount on sponsorship deals or what, what a company would look for to provide them, you know, some product or something like that. Then we show them those kinds of things at camp and, and what they can do to be effective to, you know, relay that, that type of uh, desire. So, um, it's all inclusive. If you want to be a pro fisherman, probably something you want to put on your put on your checkbox list. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it'd be camp. a great resume piece too for somebody who's looking to be a professional angler. At you know, I went to pro bass camp and I learned from all these legends. And if you did it worldwide. Every professional angler would get to be a camp counselor, and I know right. exactly the professional anglers I don't want to be my camp counselor. But 
I think, I mean, it's an amazing experience. You've got, you know, yourself and other pros coming down and, and teaching these kids. It's just, it's, it is a yeah. perfect piece to put on your resume for being a professional angler, man. It's something amazing to take away from that. Every, every year, you know, you were talking earlier about getting, uh, getting punked, you know, the, the fishing <laughs> industry. Every year I punk a few guys to come down and, and, and typically actually they come back after they've been here, but we've had some all, you know, Keith Pochet has been down here and Cliff Crochet has been here and Pete Ponds and James Niggemeyer and uh, Keith Combs and, uh, Gosh, the list goes on. I already mentioned Denny Brown. Harold Allen mm-hmm. came here for several years. You know, another Hall nice. of Famer. Um, geez, I, 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 I wish I had a list of them in front of me. But, um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of uh, awesome anglers that come through every year. And Matt Reed, I already mentioned, of course. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's crazy. It, it's it's a lot of fun. It's 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 something that uh, I, I get a kick out of it when when I spin it. The, the crazy part of it is, is it is hard work <laughs> putting all this stuff together. Sure. There's a lot of logistics and, and um, just, you know, getting all the information out there and making sure the parents are comfortable with everything that's going on in the camp. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is what it is. You know, it's an overnight camp. And, and um, you know, they're down here, like you said, on the border. We don't, we don't have any issues down here, thankfully. So it's, it's not the big thing. And people in Texas really kind of know that because they live – down here right mm-hmm, i mean they're mm-hmm. they live here every day so right. they don't they don't feel as you know uncomfortable or maybe as shy as <laughs> as you you know might <laughs> but, i'm not shy but, um, i grew up in hell michigan but i'm just saying <laughs> but once you finish all of this hard work and the camps are concluded you just look back and, and you just like man i gotta keep i gotta keep doing this yes. i gotta keep this going because it's it's making an impact. It's making a difference. Yeah. And, and I feel like when somebody feels that way, then you know that somebody else is seeing it and feeling it that way too. Because mm-hmm. I, I get these crazy letters from parents, you know, man, I can't believe what happened to my kid last week. You know, what, what was going on down there? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I used to like break him out of his little turtle show because, you know, before he didn't talk about fishing like he does now, you know, or whatever. So That's awesome. Just those little pieces of gratification and feeling good that somebody changed a little bit just makes you want to do it even on a larger scale and do it even more I feel like because you know you're doing something right and doing something right feels good right and it's good for the it's good for you know keeping the sport alive and giving back to your community and I mean just so many things there's more people should be like you and (laughs) (laughs) and help out and give back I feel like that's really important especially when you're like yourself and you have a platform for it there's no reason why you can't right 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 I completely agree and there's so many people that do you know yeah so many anglers out there do give so much time and, and effort into uh youth fishing events and and just doing things to uh continue to grow the sport that that uh, is so much fun to be involved with. Absolutely. We got to keep it alive. So before I let you go, I always ask my guests one thing, and you may have said little nuggets along the way, but if you were to give your, your role, in my opinion, is not just that of a professional angler. And I love the pro bass camp 
so much. I think, I mean, like I said, I think it should go worldwide. Um, <laughs> and you're a fishing guide, which is a lot of other pro anglers do that as well, but that's also unique to your career. But if you were going to give one piece of advice to um, maybe somebody who wanted to be a pro angler, get a government job, move clear across the country, <laughs> right. what what would that be? Man, Sean, I had one piece of advice, and, and you probably hear this so much, and, and it seems so simple, but it's go for it. Just go for what you want to do. There, there, you know, this is probably from the '80s, but where there's a will, there's a way, mm-hmm. right? And and um, you know, this saying that I grew up with when when I left home, even you know, I was married and everything, but. You know, not everybody looked at me like I had all my screws tightened all straight. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was 35 at the time. And, uh, you know, I felt like I was making a perfectly good decision and, uh, in, in, a, in what I wanted to do because I felt like, you know, I, I, I was where I was and having success in life that I had because that's what I wanted to do. And that's where I pushed myself to go to. And, and I feel like that even, as I mentioned before, with young anglers that want and then have this dream, that don't sit back and wait on it, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. It doesn't matter if it's fishing. It might be you want to be a doctor or you, your goal is to make, you know, $250,000 a year or your goal is to have a Ferrari or I don't know what your goals are, right? Right. But whatever they are, they are achievable. And and if there's a will to have something, there is a way to get it. Um, not not deceptively, but honestly. Exactly. <laughs> so, very very so good just, point. Yeah, yeah. So so just go out there and, and work hard and keep focused. And uh, you know, it's not going to all come at once. Typically, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you look at a guy like Jordan Lee, and you're like, well, it does come all at once. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, he got lucky. <laughs> but but you know that's great. You know, and that's great to see that because that gives hope and dream and passion for somebody else you know mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's available but but don't think it's just going to happen overnight because it doesn't and, and i'm certainly uh i mean i'm i've been at this for a long time i made a living at, at you know in the fishing industry in a lot of different ways and i've never left it since i started because when i when i dove in i said okay it's time to make it it's what i want to do let's let's have at it and and so that's it. Where there's a will, there's a way. Go out that's there and right. make it happen. It's, that's right. It's doable. But, but do it strategically, too. You, know, you just don't walk out there and say, okay, here I am. Let's <laughs> <it."> <laughs> what do I do there, now? <laughs> there has to be a, a pathway that, that you lay out in front of yourself that, that makes sense. And, yeah. and there is a lot of little ways to make money in the industry and, yeah. and uh, do things for people and connect with companies. Although it is a small industry, there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that make it go around and just finding a niche or two of that piece of puzzle that can make you shine a little brighter and make someone realize that you're uh, beneficial to the process. Well, well, you know, that's just, that's just the beginning, you know, and then just keep, keep moving and moving into the direction of what you really want to achieve. 
That's perfect. I love it. I'm framing that. <laughs> Fact the check. ramble of dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what this one's going to be called. <laughs> Fact check real quick. You are right. Casey said Falcon is kind of sketchy. <laughs> okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So you're I'm safe. No you're problem. safe. I don't no know problem. where I'm at on yeah. the map. Again, I live on, I grew up on a hand. Most people we're don't know Michigan down, we're, we're just coming down to, to the Texas side, west side of Texas someday, and uh, you can you can experience I'll it all for yourself. It out. Yes, I'm not going to Falcon though. Obviously, I, <laughs> right. I mean I'm not scared, but I'm just not going to go there. Thanks, Casey, for we'll the fact check. We'll keep you away. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you for the protection. <laughs> Where can people find Kurt Dove? I know that you mentioned ProBassCamp.com for ProBassCamp. Where else can we find you? Yeah, you know, the easy spots are obviously social media, so big. You know, it's uh, Instagram, KurtDove.Fishing, Facebook, KurtDoveFishing, and uh, Fish the FLW Pro Circuit. You know, follow the circuit, check out what's going on. we got some awesome events coming up with the uh, Combo MLS FLW Super Tournaments, the next three events starting uh, late June in Chickamauga and then on to uh, late July in Wisconsin and then the middle of August at Detroit river back mm-hmm. in your old state, right? So, so, uh, you follow along there. I'll hopefully be, uh, kicking butt, taking names. That's, that's right. Plan. We can't wait. Catching, catching green ones, catching brown ones. So, uh, that, that's, that's the plan there. But yeah, those are the best ways to, to contact me or check out what's going on. And I try to be very, very active. I used to, uh, I used to, you know, social media is such a crazy thing, but uh, I'm, I'm on it now at least several times a week. So, Yes. Be active on social media. Yes. Yes. It's not always fun. Not always easy. And sometimes it gets a little tedious, but uh, it's important, important fast to let people know what's going on. That's right. That's right. Well, I totally appreciate your time and sharing your story with us. You bet. Well, I'm honored that you had me on. I appreciate you contacting me to uh, get together today. It's been a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again sometime. I'm glad you had fun. That's the first time anybody said they have fun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's great. Well, thank you very much. And I look forward to seeing you virtually and probably at a tournament. Most likely. Sounds great. (laughs) We'll see you then. Thanks again. Thank you. Have a good night, Kurt. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. I appreciate you all tuning in and listening. Feedback is always welcomed and appreciated. Please do me a favor and like us on Facebook and Instagram, Blonde Girl Behind the Scenes. I cannot wait to share with you our next story. With that being said, who do you want to get to know? Drop me a line and let's get to know them together. Later, Gators.